This is episode 150 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 150 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Corey McKinnon on the show. Corey was on the show back around episode, I believe it was 44. And Corey's up to a lot of different things. He's always a great guy to talk to because he's been in this industry for a really long time as an investor. He's in the industry as a coach. He's got his hand in development and sort of everything in between. So in today's episode, we talk a lot about Corey's coaching procedure, some of the things that he focuses on overall real estate strategy, as well as common snags that investors seem to find themselves in. So because he's been in the industry so long, Corey's obviously picked up some key gold nuggets that have really helped him and helped all his students along the way. So it was really interesting to speak with Corey. And he also shared a case study on a multifamily that he's recently purchased and how he's making that work and what his current targets are in this crazy market when it's so hard to find stuff with good cash flow in uh, southwestern Ontario. So we cover all that and everything in between. As always, just before we jump in, if you want to grab a copy of my cash flow analyzer, you can do so on my website, andrew-hines.com. If you wouldn't mind, leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, please hit the like, subscribe, and notification bell and leave a comment just to help more people find the show and help it help more people. Please enjoy episode 150 with Corey McKinnon. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have on the show for the second time, Corey McKinnon, but it's been a while. It has been, I think uh, maybe, is it almost two years? Yeah, trying to remember. something like that. Something like that. So Corey, tell me, what's, uh, what's new and exciting? What's changed since the last time you were on here? Well, baby is uh, two years old now. So the youngest one, we got the baby girl. And... Um, uh, our coaching program has done extremely well. So we coach other people how to buy real estate and invest in real estate, as well as I, was, I coach some business owners too. Um, picked up some properties, picked up some multiplexes, done some whole, hotels and wholesales and stuff. So Yeah, you know, well, we'll dig into some, well. some nuts and bolts here. But I, I remember last time we spoke, uh, you, know, you obviously had your handful of properties and you were doing quite well. You're popular for having the big keychains. Uh, everyone knows that picture. Who knows you? Um, and you had that church that you're converting into uh, many apartments. I don't remember how right. many. Um, what's happening with that project? Yeah, so the project, I think when I was talking to you, I was more in the, um, <clears throat> like we just maybe got the, the costing phase of it done. And then, um, you know, just my, like my partner wanted to buy out on it. So I had to, you know, come with the funds to buy them out. That yeah. obviously slowed things down. And COVID hit and prices, you know, building prices went through the roof. Yeah. Um, we're homeschooling. Um, these other businesses are also growing like crazy. So I'm like, we'll just put this on pause for a little bit, especially until like building prices come back to reality. You know, that's when wood was like tripling and quadrupling in price and stuff. Right. So it's come back down a bit, but uh, who knows? Yeah, that, that when, when do things come back to reality? But I hear you. But I mean, at the same time, your end value is probably going up and up as you wait too. It is. Yeah. So the, the numbers still make sense on the church. So we're still forging ahead with it. Remind me uh, how many units you're expecting to get out of that? Yeah, so 29 mm-hmm. units. Okay. Um, nine of those are going to be in an addition tower, and the other 20 will fit in the existing church. Okay. So combination cool. of a lot of one-bedroom apartments, a couple two-bedrooms, and then one bachelor. All right. And then you're doing, obviously, I think when we first talked, you were sort of ramping up the coaching business or just starting to offer that. 
And uh, now I know Michael Watch. I had him on the show recently. I think he's helping you out with that, or yeah. he's a part of your organization. Michael's one of my coaches. He's uh, he's doing very well there. Um, not sure if he's going to go back to his day job. I guess we'll let, <laughs> we'll let the universe yeah, figure that out. It seems so. like he's liking what he's doing a little too much. Um, and obviously, I've seen him. You know, in the last two and a half years, go from you know have a couple of properties to uh, a much more aggressive investor at this point. And uh, so he's doing really well. So tell me a little bit about what you're coaching people on, like what some of your students are up to, um, what are the big breakthroughs and, and what are the strategies you're focusing on? Sure. So originally when I first started coaching people, maybe four years ago, I mean, I've been coaching people in real estate for as long as seven or eight, like, like since I retired from corporate. Um, but I really started to ramp it up about four years ago. And at that point I kind of wanted to take the person who's bought, you know, three, four properties and they just don't know how to go that next level and, you know, burn their day job and that sort of thing. Then we started having more like total new beginners reaching out, having more advanced people reaching out. Um, so at, at one point I was coaching everybody. I had about 25 students almost that I was just coaching myself personally, which I originally started it to be, a, you know, to help people and give back, but I also wanted it to be a bit of a lifestyle business where I didn't have to be working every single day. And it was, it was turning into like three days a week, sometimes four if I was coaching on a weekend or doing an event or whatever. Um, so at that point I just said, look, like I, I've got room for other people to grow with me. Right. And that's when Michael watch put his hand up and other people are putting their hands up. So, um, now we've got some coaches that coach, uh, more beginners. We've got people that can coach the intermediate. I can coach the advanced people. And, um, it's great. We're up to like 70 students right now. And we've got another 10 waiting to, to start up in January. So, and this is all just through word of mouth. Just, you know, I haven't done any marketing other than like what I post about on, social media and stuff like that, but I've never done Facebook ads or anything like that. Yeah. I've mentioned to you a few times. I'm sure if you well, have yeah. come over your way, um, although that. you're getting so big, you wouldn't know. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I mean, I've, there's a lot of people, yeah. positive mentions and it's, you know, when you do the right thing and you, you, you live your life with value and integrity, I think it goes a long way. And yeah, um, it's well, important. it's a small world, right? Like if, if, uh, if the results weren't good or it wasn't helpful, then we'd be hearing about it. So, uh, you know, it, it, the, the growth is actually something that I look at and I'm like, wow, I'm impressed. Like coaching business just really took off. I mean, I see a lot of people uh, mentioning you all the time. So obviously there's some good stuff happening there. So tell me a little bit about like people you're working with personally, uh, as far as what type of projects, um, you're helping people with, or, you know, is it mindset, is it a mix of all of it? And what kind of results are we seeing? Sure. So I can, um, you know, if I feel comfortable, like if they have a business, like I work with some, um, realtors, I work with some mortgage brokers. So if I feel like I can provide value to them, I, I will, uh, you know, obviously do a pre-interview and see if we can work with them. Um, you know, myself personally, I'm working with a, a lot of people. They're, they're, they're very close to burning their day job, right? So we're setting them up. Like, let's make sure that your investing is going really strong. Maybe you need a side business as well. Um, cause lots of times there's spinoff businesses that people really enjoy, whether it's, you know, well, related, right? Like, yeah, even just like the wholesaling doing, or right? something like, yeah. Yeah. Even if they're just like being a GC on job sites or whatever it might be that lines up with their personality really well, why not, uh, you know, if they can't, they don't have enough business to do it 12 months of the year, why not sub your services out to somebody else? Right. So those are typically the kinds of people I'm working with, you know, maybe we've already worked with them for a year or something like that. And now it's really like, okay, now it's time to, if you don't want to be at your day job and some people love their day job, but if, if that's something that's a real pain point for you and you don't want to be there anymore, let's make a plan to make sure you, you're very comfortable with your income and you can get that escape plan. Yeah. So I think Mark Smith's an example of somebody who burned the day job and he was coaching under you. Is he still, um, 
yeah, so Mark, uh, Mark was, I started working with Mark a couple years ago and still in touch with Mark, still advise, advise him and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's really kicked it on. Similar idea, though, he's got his wholesaling that he's doing he's all over the place with that. I mean, that guy's busy. <laughs> he is, he is. And he's, he's, he's definitely dialed it in to the point where, you know, I, I find the biggest thing is like people need clarity on exactly what they should be doing. There's so many shiny objects out there. I mean, we could talk, we could do... 10 episodes on all the shiny objects on real estate investing. But uh, when people actually get dialed in on, and clear on w- exactly what they want to do and what they don't want to do anymore, yeah. that gives them the traction that they need to move forward. And then when you can help advise them along the way to move even faster and do even better, like that's where you throw gasoline on the fire. Okay. So somebody who's trying to take it to the next level, you mentioned you're working with a lot of the more advanced, they've got a handful of properties. Uh, what are you typically focusing on with them to start? I mean, you, you talked about creating the plan that gets the result, but you know, what are some of the common things? Are you having to get them to stop looking at shiny objects? Is there a start, stop, continue type approach that you're you're taking to to the coaching with them? Yeah. So every every person's custom. So it's but there are some common themes and common threads. So I find that uh, you know they've done very well maybe on their own efforts, and now they've got to go figure out. Okay, now I got to I got to start building a team, right? So they've never had an assistant or they've never had a right-hand person or or a VA that they can rely on, right? And because when you look at the highest and best use of their time, if they only want to be working 30, 40, 50 hours a week um, because they have family and other commitments in life and they want to be taking care of their health and just living their best life, then you really got to start going, okay, I got, I got to delegate that, delegate that, delegate that. And it's, it's just so foreign. Like people don't, you don't go to school to learn how to hire a team or to build, you know, maybe if you went to, if you took your MBA and you're learning about business at a, at a high quality university, you might learn yeah. that. But Even then I feel like I didn't, you know, I went to business school for HBA. So the undergrad version, I don't really feel like it taught me anything like that. Oh wow! I feel like they set me up to, yes, I could read financial statements and I had a lot of marketing know-how and, but you know, in terms of building a team, like you can learn theoretically, but until you do it, that's, that's just the entire, entire entirely different thing. And I think that a lot of people overcomplicate things. They think I've got this degree and it, you know, it, it means that I should do things this very strategic way. But I mean, really, it's just people and people. Like, can you be a normal human being and talk to other people and yeah. understand how what what makes them click and, you know, how how they would want to be spoken to, to be respected, right? To just treat them like you'd want to be treated, right? Big time. I think that's oh. all the stuff that we have to, like, unlearn, you know, and simplify. Just keep things simple, right? Yeah, or, you know, they're not really teaching some of these things in school. Yeah. I find that communication skills are decreasing. They're getting worse. Yeah. Um, you know, can people get into rapport with other people? Can people actually like have, you know, build relationships, like all these very important things, like we're losing them. Like my wife is a teacher and I just hear the stories, you know, some, some, some of the stories are good and the other half aren't so great of just, you know, what's, what's happening with this next generation. Right. So I don't know. My dad used to be a teacher. He'd say the same thing. He's like, I used to like it. And we just thought it was like, he was getting older and getting less patient with it. But (laughs) no, I think people were changing, you know, you know, the amount of students that might, say f you or something like that back to them right where that, where that would never happen you know yes. 20 years prior i think i think the the turning point was probably one day when I, we weren't even married my but my wife uh you know we're maybe engaged or dating at the time and and she told me and she's like she mentioned that she couldn't give a student a zero and i was like why well, you can't give a zero or you can't give an f and i was like that just blows my mind because i remember when i was in high school i'm sure when you were like you handed something in late there was fines and you lost 10% a day yeah. until you got down to zero, right? Yeah, they stopped letting they, you do that. They stopped yeah. doing that, right? Yeah. I'm like, they might do that still in university, but if they stop doing that at the high school level, like you're not learning that accountability and that responsibility and 
man, it's just setting you up for failure later in life unless you have right. good guidance and you can get some yeah. other mentors in your life. It's like that participation uh, ribbon that you get for running in the race if you didn't win. You know, <laughs> I get the notion. It's nice. Oh, we want to make everybody feel special. But at the end of the day, like it's, it's, it, it's, it disables people in a way, right? It does. Big time. Okay. So you're coaching people on how to sort of build their team out. That's a common thing. Yeah. So team building, um, a lot of people have never had to go raise funds before because they've either, either done really well themselves. They've been doing, you know, bird or perfect birds or close to it. They're recycling their money. Um, but if you want to accelerate, then you're going to have to learn how to use private money or raise your own funds or, um, those sorts of things. Right. Um, even just negotiating a little bit better, like, this is a, this is a seller's market, right? And it's, it's more difficult to find sharper deals. They're still out there, but you're going to have to work on yourself more so that you can, you know, negotiate right. stronger. And that's something I want to dig into a bit more too. Yeah. Like what, what type of deals are working and how, um, that's certainly something we could, we could dig into a bit more. So you're saying raising funds is a, is a big part of it. Um, now I think I know what you're going to say here, but what do you, what are you typically finding is the way that's most effective for your students to raise funds? Um, you know, everybody's a little bit different because some people don't like to use social media and that's, that's totally understandable. Then they got to work, you know, the best app on your phone called the phone and just connect with people, let them know what you're up to. Um, I find that even some old school things like, you know, Michael watch has a newsletter that he sends out and it's not, I don't know how many people he has on his list, maybe a hundred or low, low hundreds, but he has a high open rate and that's almost, you know, how many newsletters do you get from people that are actually sent from a person, not just like a drip campaign from some big person. Right. So when you get a newsletter for someone, you're like, Oh, okay, well let's go see what they've been up to. And maybe one out of every three or four newsletters might have a little ask like, Hey, if you want to learn more about this, let me know. We'll have coffee. We'll talk, whatever. Right. So there's gotta be a bit of a call to action. Um, it could just be like literally also like when you have a business, how are the best people recruited for the business? Well, they're actually identified. They're, you know, reached out to and there's conversations made. So why not make a list of people that, you know, we can make some good assumptions that this person has been a homeowner for 10 years. They make good income. They're responsible with their money. Great. Let's make a list of 50 to a hundred. And then every week we should be reaching out to five or 10 of them and just letting them know what you've been, what you've been up to. Right. So many people like they just don't know. They're so caught up. Canadians work a lot of hours. Um, and we just don't know what our friends and our network is up to. Right. And you know, too often people think that they're, um, it's putting them in a position of weakness. Like it's like, I'm begging for money, but it's like, no, you're, you're maybe offering an opportunity to let somebody's money get put to work. Um, I know I've been lending more money out in the past year just because I don't want to see my money sitting idle. You know, there's other people out there like that too. Obviously we're sitting in in an institution that lends. So yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. There's obviously tons of people who've got money that they're like, what do I do with this? Yes. So you're saying that a lot of your students are actually just focusing on their existing people they know already and just, uh, like hitting them up with a newsletter or something or keeping them in the loop on what they're doing. Just phone calls. Let's catch up. Let me let you know what I've been up to. Um, you know, if you, if you ever want to get involved, we can, right? So you just got to go back to some old school business basics. I found um, that the Thanksgiving like dinner table, like that's where like deals are made. Like, what are you up to? Oh yeah, I'm working on this. Oh really? I'd like to get into that. <laughs> yeah. And the key is to let people come to you. Yeah, right. And if, yeah. if you're just always showing up and throwing up on them, it's, you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, very right. With well, it, right. That's where I think like social, like I've definitely been, been approached, you know, at the time I wasn't really looking for, for anything, but I've had people just reach out and say, Hey, I've got this much available. If you've got something, let me know. Just, yes. be, just because I'm sharing stuff or just because they heard on the podcast, like what I was up to. Yeah. They know you're an expert in authority at what you do, right? Like you're known for something and that's what people need to be. They need to be known for something like what city do you work in? What do you typically do? 
and that should be your brand. Um, yeah. We also teach people on branding, the importance of branding. Because um, even if you don't have a brand, then you're an unbranded person, and people just know you as an unbranded person that doesn't really stand for anything, right? Yeah, so, they know you as like... So like a guy like Michael, you want, like he wants to actually convey on his social media that he's, you know, a real estate investor. That's what he does. That's what you can expect to hear from him um, in the cash flowing properties. I mean, I know he has a lot of Welland stuff, St. Catherine stuff. Um, do you think regional is, is as important as just being known as the guy that, that does cash flow properties or something like that? I think in the beginning, people should focus on a region or two. Once you get... Um, like your, your skills are sharper and you can, um, I find that people really trip up if they try to get things going in too many cities all at once, right? Because they don't quite have the organization skills or the team or the, you know, the know-how on how to put that all together. Um, you should be known of, of, for a city that you probably got started in. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. So as far as other skills, so we, we talked about the financing, branding, um, hiring EAs, um, yeah, building you, a team you, is very important, right? Yeah, do you recommend that people, like, what's your experience with virtual assistant or in person? Great question. So, m- myself personally, I've always hired uh, people that live in the same country. If we, you know, if we did have to meet, it's obviously easier, easier, easier to coordinate. I'm going to obviously pay more for that. And I'm in a position where I can pay more. Um, I've also had, you know, one of my students, he's got three VAs. I think it costs them maybe. Is it a thousand dollars a month or five hundred dollars a month? It is not very expensive, and those VAs have helped him. You know, he's put about five thousand dollars into marketing, and that that he's got a ten time return on that when it comes to like wholesale fees and profits and stuff like that, right? So, so he's got it, a very busy nine to five, or it's probably like an eight to eight to six or something like that. So he's literally got to make sure that they're helping him find deals, write up um, write up agreements help arrange showings for people that want to buy these properties and like they're really handling, he's kind of just like coordinating everything. It's great. Very cool. So what, what would his EA tasks be? Like what would he have each one doing? Like would one, one be on one task? So yeah. He'd have so seven. one is probably like scraping leads. They're trying to find deals for him, whether it's on, on market or off market. The other person would just be doing paperwork, um, for tying up the offer. And then the other one might be just doing the disposition side of it to get rid of things. So he kind of puts it into chunks like that. Very cool. He could probably get by with maybe two people just yeah. doing a little bit more, but I'm sure he's not, he's not their only client. Right. So they got to spread the, their hours around. So do you have an EA right now? I don't have a VA. No. So or an EA um, or I, I do like, have to I have people that help me out. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. gonna, uh, like somebody that does 40 hours a week. Um, it's probably more like 25 to 30. They're not quite full time, but that also allows them to, you know, they're in a position where they don't, maybe they don't want to be working 40 hours a week. They kind of like that 25 to 30, 35, maybe if we got a, like a busier week or something like that. So I got people that help me on my coaching business. I've also got, um, I insource all my property management. So my property manager probably works about 25 to 30 hours a week. Okay, and is he an employee of yours, your, your property manager, or um, just subcontractor? She's, she's subcontractor, she, yeah. yep, and she's mm-hmm. just, you know, her kids are getting a little bit older, and they've, um, she's also she's also got a real real estate brokerage, too, so, you know, she, she does some real estate deals still, still and she likes that. Um, she's just feeling like she's getting more of an empty nester type of a house, and she needs things to do. She loves being busy, right? She's like this busy soccer mom that doesn't have as much soccer stuff to do anymore, so... Uh, when she saw our ad uh, about a year ago, she was just like, this, this is, it was like screaming my name is what she said. So, and how, yeah. So what, what are you putting in your ads to attract these type of people? 
you want to be really clear with your job description and everybody's job description is going to be a little bit different. So for us, we just let them know, like we're looking for someone who's pretty much going to be A to Z. Um, you know, you're going to be doing walk arounds. You're going to be doing re releasing. You're going to be doing a uh, reference check, like everything to do. Like we have a seven, seven or eight page process on like how we re-rent a unit. Right. So she's basically following our systems to a T um, you know, documenting everything, sending out the paperwork. If there is ever is an N4, which, you know, I think we served one this, this month. It's, it's not that big of a thing that we do, but she's there to do that. Right. So. Okay. And is that like an hourly position that you pay for? Like, or is it? That a, one's more hourly. Okay. Yeah. We do a bit of a bonus for every unit that's rented, but yeah. So there's a little bit of extra incentive there. Yep. Okay. So you might be able to relate to this, but anytime I post an Indeed ad, regardless of the position, especially for like the EA. Cause like, I've, I've kind of gone down this road a couple of times where I've gotten closed done some, you know, reviews and then one thing or another, such as like the first lockdown started, I'm like, okay, well maybe not the best time to hire somebody. And then more recently just kind of didn't make it through the process, found out we were having a baby and then congratulations <laughs> by the way, diverted, yeah. diverted me a bit. But I noticed that I get a lot of responses. Like I'll post like a, an ad for something like that. And it's like, where do I even start with these responses? So you how know, many responses would you get? Like a hundred or 200? Yeah. hundred, 200, something like that. How do you, how do you whittle that down? Because a lot of them aren't really that serious, yes. but it's almost like I want to find a way to have them like I do with tenants, you know, get them to fill out like a survey Definitely. or something, you know, like to, to have them weed themselves out. Yep. So what we did was, um, there was two criteria that we put in and we didn't make it mandatory, but we could still find it in the filters. So one was they should have previous property management experience. And it'd be helpful if they had some other experience in real estate. Uh, cause ideally what we were looking for was like somebody who was a realtor. Cause there's a lot of realtors out there and they're not, they're not, well, they're, yeah, they're just not full-time busy. Right. Um, because then they could have an understanding of real estate, how real estate works and the importance of good property management. And if they worked with a property manager, that would be a bonus. So we didn't make it mandatory, but we could see who had what. And, um, for the ones that we did feel like they checked some more boxes for us, we asked them for not like a video, like a video reply, but we asked them for like an audio reply because some people would be nervous about getting on camera. But we just said like, hey, can you send us an audio? Um, we like your application. Can you send us an audio message of why you want to apply? So that cut our numbers way down. And then we interviewed maybe 12 to 15 and, you know, the top five stood out. So we had two interviews. My, my, my current assistant at the time did those interviews and then we whittled it down to five. And then from those five, it was really two people competing okay. for it. And, the, the, and you feel like either one could have done the job. And either one could have. Yeah. yeah. We even thought about maybe hiring both of them and just seeing, you know, which one worked out the best. And if they were both worth keeping, we would maybe try to find work for both of them. But yeah. Yeah. That's the, the thing. Like, you know, I, I really do like, I hear you say this and like every time I've come close, I have so many you know people that help me out in my business and I've given my site supervisor and, um, you know, the Sarnia area, he actually does a lot of stuff for me. That's probably getting into assistant territory as well. <laughs> so it's time to like add in that extra person into my organization to buy my time back. Like I really look at it like that. So in your opinion, like, what do you think? Like, I, I want somebody that will do it all. Like I want somebody who can, who can actually kind of leech off of how I think, understand what I need and, you know, be proactive about solving problems. What do you think I've got to, I've got to get myself into, to acquire a person like that? Like, is that like an 80 grand, a 70 grand job? It's, it's definitely, you know, a lot of people are like, they, they think of it on an annual price point, right? They're like, oh man, well, I've never spent 40 or 50 grand or 60 grand on anything. 
as far as, you know, labor or anything like that. Right. But when you think of it as, as a monthly basis, it's definitely more affordable, but yeah, you're probably, you're definitely probably in that 60 to $80,000 range. And that person wants to know that there's opportunities to grow and continue to grow their income and the responsibilities. Like a good person is going to want responsibility. They're going to want, like, they're going to thrive for that, but they also want to make sure that they get paid well for it. So what kind of like, you know, this is a great conversation because I think I'm not the only one thinking about this. I know there are a lot of people thinking like, how do I actually free up my time so I can do more? Are those people who work full time? They want to keep growing, but they will, maybe they want to keep their job. Um, you know, so I guess it really comes down to what opportunities do you need to give them? What, you know, what, what's the make sense approach to this to you? Like if you're keeping it simple um, to attract people to want to come in these days, especially, you know, now when you can get paid a good amount of money to just stay home in Canada. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. It is true, uh, sadly. But, um, you know, the cream always does rise to the top. Like there's, you can't, I find that a, a great person or a rock star doesn't revert into a person that's going to be sitting on the couch collecting a government check. Right. So you got to find the rock stars and, you know, there still are a lot of people out there that have good jobs. They might be in a management position, but they're just not fully engaged, right? They're, the company culture is not there. Maybe the company is too big. They're checking all the boxes. They can play hooky once in a while. They maybe only get rep- reprimanded once in a while, but they don't want to stay there forever. Right. So when you can, I find that culture is very big and when they resonate with your culture of your business and where you see yourself going, that's important. Um, understanding your, uh, the person who's applying. So we, we do some personality profiling ahead of time. I've got a annual license to, um, which if you ever want to profile anybody, you can use my link, but uh, predictive index. So it's, it's, it's a free choice sort of a, a profile. So it's not one of those fixed choice ones where it's like, okay, you only have, you know, we used to use disc, right? Uh, yeah. a DISC personality type, but it was, it was a forced choice because they only, they could typically only pick, you know, four for every kind of question. You're either more like this or less yeah. like this. And then what if I'm not really any of these, right? You got to kind of pick, it's still a little bit off. So this one's great because it's free choice. You pick as many words to describe yourself as you want. And then that really helps to dial them into like one of 17 personality types. So it's kind of like if a disc was 2D, two-dimensional, this is definitely three-dimensional. It's okay. it's fantastic. And have you noticed like if you're picking a certain type that it works out better than others? Yeah, you want to have somebody who is, um, let's say, for example, they're more of a collaborative worker. They're more of a relationship kind of a person. Um, we also interview all of our, all of our coaching students too, right? So we can see if they're more of like a, a high level kind of like just, fire fire ready aim kind of person that also helps us know like what their goals are probably going to be like how fast they typically like to move and then what coach we should probably team them up with right so um you know when we looked at our applicants we knew it was going to be more of a collaborative administrative type of a position so we wanted to make sure that that showed through in their in their profile not that people couldn't but when you're doing things that are against the grain it it feels like friction all the time you'll only do that for so long you're saying if you're trying to get somebody to do something that it's just not natural to them yeah yeah. So the, the big three, three big questions to always ask when you're hiring somebody is, you know, can they do the job? Well, think of McDonald's. There's a lot of people that could work the fry station at McDonald's. Um, so that's usually a pretty easy checkbox. You know, will they do the job? Um, you know, that's where you got to look at the personality profile and the, in the type. Um, so make sure there's a good fit there. And then will they do the job long term? Like, are they a good cultural fit? you know, for your company. So they're not just a yes person that wants to work and make some money, but they really see themselves as a part of your company and growing and wanting to help someone else. And just, yeah. Like they get satisfaction from doing a good job and that they do. I feel like that's such a valuable thing. Like I used to teach at Western and one of the, one of the units was, uh, was organizational behavior and we'd have to identify. And I don't, you know, for the life of me, can't really remember all these categories. If I reviewed it, I would, but, um, 
you know, one thing that stood out to me is like, there's a lot of people that it's not about the money. It really isn't like they more than anything want to feel valued. They want to feel like their, their efforts matter. Yep. They're making an impact They're yeah. They're making a difference. Right. If and you ask them, they'd probably say it was about the money, but in, in actual practice, it was more about how they felt valued within the organization. Yes. Which, uh, is very interesting, right? At the time I'm like, well, I guess that does make sense. And uh, people don't always say, you know, they, they, they act from the logical brain or they speak from the logical brain, even though that's not really, you know, cause it's not a feeling. Yes. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there's been studies done. I don't, I don't have them handy, but you know, do you have good friendships with other people that where you work, right? That's very important. Do you feel like you're making a difference? Do you feel like you, um, you have a voice, like you can actually like what you say matters and maybe some things actually get changed and improved based on your feedback. Right. So all those things are more important than money. Same within business too. I mean, when you're buying something, um, money is an important factor, but it's not number one. I mean, it's, it's going to be quality. It's going to be, I'm going to have to replace this thing. You know, what's the warranty like? What's the trust like? What's the, what are the testimonials like? Right. So, yeah, absolutely. So, well, and I would think most people, especially in like, say our world, if you're like buying coaching or something like that, it's, you're not going to go for the cheapest coach. No, (laughs) you're going to go for the one that gives you the best value. That's right. So comparing quality versus the price. So. Okay, Corey, I think we should talk a little bit about real estate and what you're working on. So what's, sure. uh, what are some of the recent projects that, uh, that you've been picking up? Yeah. So this summer we closed on a seven plex. Um, that was something that literally I, we, we started negotiating at the, at the beginning of COVID and, um, it was a private deal, uh, came through Matt McKeever's network and, um, you know, it was just kind of crazy the way that things went. Like they, they wanted someone that they knew that could close on it, which we could. And, um, then unfortunately somebody passed away in the unit. So what we negotiated, they wanted a long closing. So they wanted this really creative deal. Like they wanted a year long closing. Um, they wanted a large deposit, large non-refundable, non-refundable deposit, like a hundred grand. Um, but in return, we were able to start like burying the property. Right. So we were able to manage it. We were able to turn some units over, increase some rents. So when it came to closing time, um, we had increased the value of the property, $200,000, um, maybe actually almost more like a quarter million. And at that point we we're almost nothing out of pocket. Ooh, that's great. Okay. So you just got it appraised higher and close with private lenders, I'm guessing. Yeah. So we bought it at yeah. uh, 803 and we had it appraised at, I'm trying to remember if it was a million or a million fifty, but, um, it was a good deal. Yeah. Oh, and it's wow. still got room to go up cause the rents still haven't been maximized and we did some work on it. Like we, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to throw that deposit away. Like we're definitely going to close on this. We did the roof. Uh, we turned two units over, um, just to help to stabilize the building. And yeah. now we're doing more infrastructure work, like all the boring stuff that people don't see, right. The plumbing, the electrical. Yeah. And is, are, is there uh, a further plan to refinance that? There will be like probably in another year, we'll go back to the pool again. Whereabouts is this property? Uh, well, yeah, you know, London. So, so this is on Beecher street. And we've already, we only already own a couple, uh, so right near Stanley and Horncliffe Road and Forks of the Thames and all that stuff in there. So it's a good area. I've owned two other properties within a couple hundred meters of there. That's not that floodplain, right? The uh, upper Thames route. If, if it's where like, like Riverside and Warrencliffe is, am I thinking of the right spot? It's, it's close to there. So it's oh, well, Stanley's we're, we're even further like, south, right? Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're one street away from yeah, Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. You're down, down a little bit further. Okay. Yeah. We don't have any issues with water. Yeah. So. Well, no, I mean, I used to own a couple of properties in that floodplain there. I never had any water in them, but it's just, it restricts what you can do in terms of building. It's more of a, a restriction. They, 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 uh, acted very afraid. They were always like, well, you know, you're in that hundred year flood zone that, uh, all it takes is those, uh, the Thames wall to overflow onto your street. And, yeah. 
They yeah, said at one point those basements were all flooded, but I mean, I don't know. I didn't see any evidence of that. Yeah, I hear you. So no, that was that was a good buy. Um, and again, easy to manage. There's like no grass there to cut. Really, there's like something maybe the size of a of a of a bedroom. So what are your average rents there? Uh, average rents would be. I'll just have to use the calculator here. I didn't. I was going to bring some envelopes here to write on today, but. Um, uh, Still a couple low rents there, but so average rent is probably in that nine hundred dollar range. Okay, so for which isn't bad when you have like one bedroom, uh, mostly ones, five ones, and then two twos. And you've already improved that a bit. That's up from where it was. Yeah. Okay, and you know approximately ballpark where your your taxes would be on that. Yeah, taxes aren't fun on this one. Taxes are close to twelve thousand. Oh wow, that's yeah. insane. Um, is, but the numbers London taxes, right? Yeah, uh, a yeah. Like a lot of my bigger buildings in London are yeah. kind of in that eight, uh, eight, nine, ten thousand dollar range. You bet thirty five hundred in insurance there. Uh, insurance was about thirty two. Thirty two. Okay, and maintenance. What do you typically budget for your maintenance? Yeah, the property doesn't need a ton, but I mean, usually I'm budgeting like five percent. Once you get into slightly higher uh, numbers, it you know, you're still, uh, even at 5%, you're still a good chunk of cash that can go towards fixing things. Like, that's 3780 a year. Yeah, you know, some really years just, you might be really higher. We're just doing handyman stuff, yeah. and some of that will go into a cap reserve yeah. fund, right? But what, uh, what about utilities? Are you paying for utilities there? We're paying for water. So we budget 200 bucks a month for water, and we pay the heat. So that's only in the cold months. I believe my uh, gas bill is about 2500 bucks for the year. Okay, so you're... 5,000 between all that stuff. And you have uh, management there or no? Uh, we're, we're insourcing it. So, I mean, I guess I could, so it's, it, I could look at all the properties and try to do some math on that. Yeah. But, but effectively you're already paying the manager. Yeah. 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 Okay. My in-house fees are pretty low. Okay. And then no landscaping, really some snow removal. Uh, yeah. Snow removal is very minimal. We're talking like seven, 800 bucks for the year. So, so let's, you know, let's budget a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Okay. So twelve hundred a year between everything, and uh, does that make sense between grass and, and yep. snow? Okay. And then I just like to leave a miscellaneous in there. Um, so you you got it appraised, or you well when you closed it was a million fifty. You said that's what we got the last appraisal at. Yep. Okay. So your cap rate on that would be about four point six nine, and you've obviously got room to improve that as you get your rents up even more. Yeah, it was high fours. I forget what the report, because when you get your appraisal done, right, they throw, mm-hmm. they throw some extra stuff at it. Mm-hmm. So I think the appraisal came in at 4.8 or something like that. But mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's, so, what, that's what good quality properties are selling for in London. It's like four and a half to five. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems pretty standard now. It's kind of, it, it was nice when you could get stuff closer to a six, but feels like uh, dating myself to say that. <laughs> still can um, in some parts of london but maybe yeah. you don't want to be in that part of london yeah maybe long-term. not the ideal right um now as far as how you're financing that now is that just interest only um right now we are re- like a regular mortgage so we uh we put a regular mortgage on it and um we're with desjardins so and they were okay with with financing the the um appraised value versus the purchase price what they did for us was they I think it, it depends on the quarter of the year when you when you get your stuff done, right? Because, you know, lenders go through ebbs and flows of some quarters. They're more aggressive with their lending and other quarters are not. I find that towards the end of the year, they're not as aggressive. 
Um, but here they were still good. Um, so what they did was they gave me a pretty good loan to value. And then what he ended up doing, cause I said, look, man, you guys got to be able to do something a little bit better for us. Like the property is, you know, like you can't look at my purchase price. Like, like we stole this thing. We got a good deal. And then we got to work on it before we closed on it. He knew the whole story. Um, so he said, well, what, what I'll do is I'll get you a, a good size line of credit Okay. that, you know, at prime, if you want it. So I think we got a 70 or 80,000 on a line of credit on it too, if we wanted to. So that was basically the main things like pretty much net neutral zero into it. Okay. So you were, you said you were eight Oh three plus, um, your renovation costs, right? Yep. So we probably put 25 grand into it. Okay. So you would you say you're around 75% loan to value? No, actually you're, you're more like 80% loan to value then on, on what you said it was appraised at. So that would be eight forty. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So about that 25 gram on that. Yep. And interest rate approximate. That guy would be, I'm trying to remember what we got on that one. Um, let's just say three, 3%. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of at a break even cash flow right now, I'm showing like 130 bucks, but I mean, of course, as you just keep pumping those rents up, that's just going to go up and up from there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the kind of buy, like I, I mean, yeah, it's not, Thrilling from a cash flow standpoint, it's not going to change anything too much in the short term. But in the long term, I feel like there's huge potential on that. Yeah, we could we could furnish one unit. We actually thought we had one tenant. She was going to give up her unit. She's been working in a different country, and she wasn't sure if she was coming back. She gave us her notice like two different times, but she never signed the, the N9 paperwork. So right. um, we literally were fixing one up and cleaning it and painting it. And then she's like, oh, I changed my mind. I'm just like, but just right there, like give us like a four or $500 lift per month. So yeah, one one tenant turns over, you can raise it four hundred bucks. Now all of a sudden your cash flow is a lot better. In this case, like triple, and then up and up from there. Yep. Now what? That's the thing, right? A lot of people don't actually factor in all the real expenses of owning a property, right? They just do like, okay, what's my taxes? What's my insurance? What's my utility? Great, I'm fine. But it's like, no, you're gonna have to like, you need to maintain these properties. Somebody's got to cut the grass. Somebody's got to do the snow. You can't be out there doing that yourself. I'd rather be objective about it. I mean, it's okay. I talk about this on this show a lot. Like, it's okay to have you know, a loser here and there, if it's not making cash flow, say it doesn't mean it's a loser overall, but maybe it's losing cash flow initially. If the rest of your portfolio cash flows, that's not going to hurt. But if it's your only property and it's a loser, that's, that's where people get out of the game. Yes. Yeah. And things can bleed for a while. As long as you know that there is like light at the end of the road and you, yeah. you know, you know that things are turning, getting better every three months, every six months or whatever. In those cases, I build that in as an operational expense. I'm like, okay, well, if I need a year to do this or two years to do this, I'm just going to build that in as an expense. And as long as the deal still works, I won't worry about it. Yep. And then just, you know, if I can get done a little quicker, then all the better. So that's kind of the, the thought process that I would take with that. So that seems like a, a pretty interesting deal. Works right away. And, and most importantly, you pretty much have nothing into it. That's right. Those are the kinds of deals. Everybody wants those kinds of deals and not every deal is like that. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, that's the next, you know, this was just like, you know, we're able to pull the trigger when other people weren't right now, when you pulled the trigger on that, is that you by yourself or you have a partner with that or no, that's just me. Okay. So when you pulled the trigger on that, were you anticipating to have to put money in or did you know you were going to get private? Did you think that you would raise your down payment through like promissory notes if you needed to, or was it like, I'm ready to close cash and We'll, we'll see what, what happens. Um, yeah, like the, the, the down payment wasn't a big deal. We had that money um, available. So I thought just like worst worst case, I would have to maybe get private funds to maybe show the banks that we improved a little bit more. But 
you know, since we had a year to work on it, like Desjardins was fine. They're like, yeah, we can see that you raised the value here. We can't give you everything right now, but let's go revisit it in 12 months and okay. we'll give you the full value. And you have point. a pretty strong relationship with them already? I do. I've done a bunch of deals with them. Um, I like Desjardins. They have different levels. So they have the more like their residential level. I think that's up to like four units or a certain dollar figure of maybe it's 500,000. No, it's four, four doors. Once you go over four doors, then you're into more of the commercial division. He can go all the way up to, I believe, $2 million, and then it kicks into like a bigger commercial division if you're right. doing something over $2 million. You work your way up. Yeah. Um, have you noted some of the differences as you get higher up in their, in their divisions? Requirements are bigger. Like, Do they go from not needing an environmental to needing an environmental? Like, they they is, may. Yeah, they've got yeah. A, like a, for the ones I've done, they've, they've had, because I've done about four deals with them, they've, they have an environmental questionnaire. Yeah, that's so what I'm used to, yeah, the questionnaire. <laughs> that's the easy out. Yeah, just tell me, has it ever been used as a gas station? I know. <laughs> no? No dry know. cleaner either. Yeah, but I mean, if you're in like a, yeah. basically a residential neighborhood, there should never yeah. really be a, a phase two. Um, you know, some people have had to pay for phase twos, which is, it's just, it's unfortunate, but just, to, I just had to do one on the trailer park campground I'm buying. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. But I mean, what were the odds that there would ever be an environmental contaminant? I was just wondering, like, were they worried that like maybe some poo got on the ground? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that that would set off the, uh, a lot of know. oil tanks back in the day. A lot of just, yeah, I guess. you know, silly stuff or crazy things but, being done, but, and they I can mean, leach buyer, in the ground quite a bit. Right. Right. As a buyer, I wouldn't want to buy something, especially a high valued asset without it. If I know that down the road, if I improved it to the value where I know it would be, if I know lenders are going to ask for it, then yeah, I'm you know going to make absolute sure that I get it on my way in. Yes. Um, well, you don't here's, want a surprise. A little, here's a little tidbit. I'm not yeah. sure if you've heard this before, but if yeah. you buy a property that does have environmental contamination, um, if there's ever a lawsuit, you as the current owner could be sued, the previous owner could be sued. So even if you bought this thing, you fixed it up, you sold it, you could still get dragged into a lawsuit. Because you, 10 years in the future. Would that be if you didn't disclose? No, nope. just you're part of the, you're yeah. part of the history of the property. Yeah. So I guess get Which one. crazy. <laughs> yeah, but so you're obviously not always getting one, right? I mean, especially when you're buying from a wholesaler, you're kind of, it's kind of a leap of faith, right? Yeah. So, you know, is your, is your thought just, you know, keep doing what you're doing and hopefully that never happens or are there certain scenarios where you're, you're getting them? I think it's more when you're getting into different the uses, stuff, right? Yeah. When you're getting into, you know, things on street corners and uh, busy streets, bigger properties, mixed use properties. That's typically where you're going to run into more of the environmental. Yeah. Oh yeah. I issues mean, I and can... concerns because it can leach under the ground, you know, 75 meters and you know, you could be, or if there's a dry cleaning facility, right, dry cleaner around. 75 meters away and all of a sudden your property's got contamination. Yeah. And it happens too. Like this stuff, you know, what, fluids flow underground right you got the um, there can be real opportunity in cleaning that stuff up though i know um one of the projects be. carmen bought it was uh, like their one of their biggest approvals um up to a certain point in time i know they've gotten bigger ones since but it's like a hundred plus unit building they got approved for on land that was contaminated and yep. just part of the the development processes they had to remediate they came in way under what it was supposed to cost to remediate so it's just like cash in pocket pretty much yeah i've got a piece of property like that as well so we've got 10 acres in sarnia one block from the water um it's got some um you know past history there it was a dig pit so they dug out all the good sand they sold it off for mortar mix in the 70s and 80s and then they started filling it back in with mostly good fill and then it was a free-for-all and then it was good fill yeah so there's we know there's some stuff in there from like a gas station um some asphalt uh, wood, like, you know, things that are going to release methane or there's going to be some carbons in the ground. And I've already engaged a company actually in Burlington. I should give the guy a call. Um, they're great at it. So, cause locally we just found that people want to make this into a, um, science project and they're like, Oh, we could do this and we could do that. And I'm like, 
we could put electrical fields through the ground, which could clean it up. I'm like, look, I'm not like the big petrochemical <laughs> plants here. I don't have you an want unlimited budget here. You know, I want to come in cost effective, work with someone who is more business minded and just get this thing to the starting line. Yeah. I don't know how they actually do it. I've heard that they'll, um, a lot of it's peroxide, peroxide yeah. injections. And, um, something like blowing gas through the, the soil, like they aerate it and like, I don't know how the heck that works, but uh, apparently it cleans it up. It's 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 very doable, but you got to work with the people who know how. So, Big time. Not yeah, blue, too, uh, uh, blue Frog Contracting is who I've worked yeah. with, and they're, they're, they know what they're doing. They've given so. you some numbers on it already? Yeah. And it's going to be viable? Like, you can you can proceed with that and make it work? Yeah, and some of it is still like, you know, we can't put a price on some of the stuff, but if things go according to plan, and if it's not crazy worse than what we think, then, and we've got some soil tests and stuff done on it, so we know what mostly okay. what we're working with have so. you gone through like phase three i haven't so we're, we're probably just going to go straight to what they call the risk assessment so because we know that it's going to need a phase two and and whatever else so we're just going to say look we know that there is stuff in the ground that's got to be dealt with so we're just going to tell you what we're going to do so we're just going to yeah. jump right to the risk assessment okay have them approve that and then just get to business which will speed up things a little bit it's still going to be expensive but right right but what would the potential use of that property be like, like, are you going to sever lots? Building or? lots, yeah. Oh, okay, so it's it's going to be worth it in the long run. Yeah, we're just not sure based on the stability of the ground if we'll be able to do basements very easily, if we should just do on slab, well, the do, problem, do less lots. The problem yeah. is if if they've dug it out and filled it back in, you will have to dig back all the way to undisturbed soil and then backfill with engineered soil like stone or sand, compacted. That's where it gets so expensive. That part, That part's where you might just say... Well, I don't know, because even if you're not going to do a basement, you still have to do, uh, you have to dig a footing down to undisturbed ground. So, but all the same, right? Look at what, look at what's happening to, to housing prices. I mean, something that didn't make sense two years ago now makes sense. So I, I'd love to find out, you know, kind of follow along with what you do with that and see, you know, just how far down you have to dig to find undisturbed soil. Yep. Or we might just say, you know, if it's going to be, cause that's the the second half of the property. So we might just took that, take the first half that's closer to the road and just go, okay, we're just going to do estate size lots and call it a day. And then once, well, then they can have a big backyard too, right? You can yep, do, you can do like building envelope at the front. They don't need to um, worry about that in the back part. So that's interesting. I love nerding out on that kind of thing. <laughs> no, it, was, it was an interesting opportunity. I mean, we got 10 acres for two sixty three years ago and it's, I'm like, worst case scenario. I just, I could build one big house on this thing yeah. and it could be the dream home or whatever. And just everything else doesn't get developed or, we can actually, you know, ease into this and see how far yeah. we can go with it and how many lots we can do. If we, if we can actually maximize all the lots, it'd be about 34 to 36 lots. That would be very cool. Okay. So tell me about kind of, you know, obviously times are different now. Prices are going insane consistently. Um, what's that, you know, man or woman who wants to leave their job and do this full time? What do they need to focus on? And, you know, from what you're seeing, what's working right now? to transition into real estate full-time like is there a geographic area that makes the most sense you want to focus on or is it a you know you're going and you're knocking on doors like what do you see working for people yeah so there's deals in every market right it's uh it's just a matter of like if you're living in a expense more expensive market like the gta or vancouver or something like that the deals will look different right you're looking for a spread between what you can buy it for and improve it renovate it flip it or whatever um i think it's pretty safe to say it's very challenging to get cash flow here. So we're, you know, if people are looking for cash flow, if they're looking for buy and hold uh, opportunities, we're always 
you know, pointing them towards a value market, like markets where you can still, you know, this is where we have the North Bays and the Sudburys and the Sarnias and the, you know, I, I still think London, there's good opportunities in London. You may not cash flow as well, but I, I really like the city. The city is a very diverse, strong, yeah. you know, it's got so many different city. industries. Yeah, it's, it does. It, it's not an easily shook city and it's kind of an island. Like it's never really, it's always been self-reliant, you know, all its own internal industries that, you know, it's not a bedroom community to anything. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons growing, I like it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, people can still do good in Woodstock. They can still do well in St. Thomas. Like, uh, you know, I know Jeremy was on your channel. Like they can still still do well in Chatham, right? You know, there's opportunities in Windsor. I think Windsor's been a little bit overfished. And I, I've never really liked the fundamentals of Windsor all that much. There's still like you drive down streets and there's just like lots of houses that are boarded up or just not being lived in. And to me, that makes it seem a little bit more like yeah. you've gone over the border into Detroit or something like that. So yeah, that Windsor is funny like that. I mean, although vibe. it's come a long way, but it I mean, has still it's got I a had, long ways to go. I just had, um, Susan white Livermore on the show and she was talking about how she won't invest in a city if you can easily name uh, its top industry. And I thought that's really interesting, interesting, right? You would say like Windsor is still automotive, right? Yep. Um, Although that's more the other side of the border, but they're, they're manufacturing heavy. Um, they're still pretty heavy. You know, they've had to reinvent themselves just like St. Thomas, but, um, yeah, there, there's lots of great areas around there and it's just a matter of people. A lot of people don't have the, that killer instinct that like, okay, I'm going to go out and find some good value or I'm actually going to take the time to go and, you know, put up ads or talk to more people or knock on more doors or be a detective and find out who owns this property that needs some work and could be a good burr, burr property. Right. So, you know, burr properties don't like look beautiful from the road typically like they, they need work. So yeah. there was one in London I put an offer in on, but it was just, you know, I'm like, I can't pay more than what my offer is. We still came pretty close to offer, but it was a sixplex on Horton street. And once I saw it, it was like a lot of, a lot of tenants I knew I'd be dealing with for a long time. So I just said, Nope, not raising my offer. And someone paid 50 grand more. So, yeah, that's the thing you get into. Was that an on market? That was an on market deal. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing you get into in London. What I found is like, there's always somebody willing to work for nothing. Somebody who doesn't understand their numbers as well as I do willing to yeah. pay more. And that was what would get frustrating to me when I was bidding against other people. So I'm like, okay, I want to just go more unique. So I'm not bidding against all these guys or, you know, you find a wholesaler or whatever, but, uh, that's the situation that I would want to stay out of. And now, you know, like just as well as I do, like even the wholesalers have become their own market. It's no longer off market. It's on the wholesale market. That's right. Um, so what do you, what are you doing to get around that? Or what do you see your students doing to get around that? Are they just doing it themselves? Are they, are they papering neighborhoods themselves? Um, door knocking themselves. Yeah. So I, you know, what we teach is like people need to make their own web, right? So like, if you think of a spider web or like Grant Cardone, his mascot is like an octopus, right? Cause he wants to be, you know, have his tentacles, tentacles and, and everything thing, yeah. and inking things and yeah. doing more things. So you can't just do one thing. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a combination of detective work, flowering ads, you know, having ways that people can like respond to you. Um, whether it's a phantom ad or a real ad or, you know, just networking with other landlords, like you gotta be, you gotta be active. And then the ones that are getting more traction, obviously put more time and effort and energy into those winners, those winner strategies. So. Okay. And if you're turning up a lead, are you like, what are your expectations these days? Um, when you're coming in, like, are you pricing yourself when you make an offer that you want a perfect burr? Like you want to be able to go in refinance and get all your money back out. And is that your kind of top line or are you willing to budge? Like what, what's your typical approach there? Yeah. So for me, I would actually prefer to do less renovations these days and I'm okay keeping a little bit more money in the deal. Um, it's not like I 
have time on my side. I'm, I'm in my twenties, but I have money maybe on my side and, um, I'm okay with maybe leaving half the money in the deal. Like we would like to rent, like we'd like to burrow at least half of our down payment or, or our down or renovation money. Yeah. But you have students that are going, you know, only, only, um, trying to do a perfect burr. And if they can't get that, maybe they wholesale it or no, they're still going in. Yeah. I mean, people are in different situations too. Right. So for some people, they can't afford to put, keep a lot in, in a deal. So they'll keep looking until they find a deal where they have less money into it. Um, but our students are doing deals like daily. So, um, yeah. And they've, they've got time on their side. They don't have four kids and everything else. So I'm not a good example, but you know, what we teach other people to do is like they're in that growth phase. And if they want to grow, like you got to commit the time. Well, I'm just saying, yeah, if you, if you want to grow effectively, you're going to run out of money, right? You've got to be able to make these deals work and cash flow with yes. limited money in the deal at the end of the day. Like if you really want to grow fast and obviously you can see Jeremy's done that too, like the craziest, craziest degree, obviously helpful that the market's gone up so much that there's still a ton of cash flow there um, in that market. Um, that market seems to be a little bit of a, you know, Chatham for, for anyone who doesn't know Jeremy. It's expensive, right? Unless yeah. you, you know, like unless you're going after your own leads, right? Yeah. It's been expensive it's for probably flow, like though. three to four years. It will. It's still cash flows. You know, it seems better than a, a, quite a few other markets, right? Um, yeah. So if it wasn't that, you're saying up north seems to be where a lot of people are going. I know that Austin, yay, went up. You know, Sudbury way. Yeah, there's a lot of people yeah. going up to Sudbury. Um, you know, you can still do well in Barry. It's just a little bit more expensive up that way. Um, North Bay, I think, is is good. Um, where else are people? You know, some people are investing in Sault Ste. Marie. Um, Sault Ste. Marie is kind of like a different version of Sarnia. There's still opportunity in Sarnia. There's just like a very low inventory of multifamily properties down there, like less than um, provincial and national sta- uh, averages. So, you know, I think people have to... For a beginner, my advice would be go to a city that has a decent amount of inventory, whether that's Windsor or Sudbury or wherever it might be, just because you need to be analyzing more deals. You need to see more inventory. Um, You know, you need to be in that just where more things are turning over. So maybe you can pick something up quickly, do a bully offer or do whatever it might be. Be the first to the punch, have a strong offer. Yeah. Now, how much consideration for someone new is there in investing somewhere so far away from them? Like if you've got people down, you know, London way investing in Sudbury. That's a long drive. Yeah. They just have to be comfortable with that. Right. It's like, you know, we know your plan. So if you want to invest locally, you're going to have to have, you know, you're going to have to be okay with maybe lower cash flow or lower cap rates. If you want, you know, things to improve and you want to yeah. maybe have a budget for management and all these other things, you do have to be yeah. comfortable going, going to other cities. Other people are going to, you know, East coast and stuff too. So right. some people are going to Alberta. So there's a lot of opportunities all over the country. You just have to be comfortable with Right. What the strategy and what the plan is going to be. And I like what you said. There are deals in every market and there is a deal that'll cash flow $5,000 here in Burlington, but is it the needle in a haystack or is it a stack full of needles? Right. Like that. And, um, I, I think that that's, that's the big difference, right? Like I think Chatham, for instance, has been an opportunity for many years. I was becoming less of an opportunity because it's getting more popular. Right. And there was Welland, you know, those are markets where there was a time and maybe now it's Sudbury, you know, Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah, some people are doing well in Cornwall. I still think there's opportunities in the Ottawa Valley, uh, all around Ottawa. Yeah. You know, so there's opportunities in lots of different places. I think people just, they want the result now and they're not willing to put in the time or to learn or to yeah. be patient or it's like hunting, right? Like we're literally out there hunting yeah. and it's not like you walk into a field full of like deer, like you could spend days or weeks right. or months finding the deer, but you got to be ready to pull the trigger and, and have good aim when that yeah, opportunity arises. Absolutely. All right, Corey, it's always great talking to you. If people wanted to follow you, reach out to you, where do we send them? 
Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. I, I mean, they can find me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, they can also, you know, if they want to go check out my website, it's just CoreyMcKinnon.com. Okay. Yeah. I seem to remember your website pretty slick. So yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> uh, we're looking to do another iteration of it. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you, you're very active on Instagram. I know I follow your stories. You're always sharing uh, cool real estate stuff and tips and stuff. So um, yeah, I'll post those links in the description and in the show notes. Um, any parting words of wisdom for people listening, you know, real estate investors trying to take it to the next level? I just think it's fantastic that there's so much more interest in the space now over the past couple of years, people, uh, working from home, not, not commuting as much. They're using their spare time to learn about these real assets. Um, I think just people need to hold the course because I know that there's going to be more opportunities in 2022, 2023, as interest rates go up a little bit. Um, it's going to be natural, right? If, if interest rates go up, you know, 1%, then that's going to trigger a burnt out landlord to sell, or that's going to trigger someone to go like, maybe it's time I should retire, or maybe I don't need as big of a house or whatever. Right. So there's going to be, you know, there's going to be opportunity out there and people just need to hold the, hold the course and be patient. Yeah, it's, I think a big part of that is wiring your brain for to see opportunity, right? Don't don't focus on the negative. Oh, interest rates are going up. I'm going to pay more on my property. So no, now more people are going to sell. Now I might be able to get that deal. Um, and, you know, you might be able to get them a little cheaper so your cash flow is still the same. That's right. And to know that opportunities are constantly changing and moving, right? What an opportunity looked like a year ago is not what an opportunity looks like today. And when you buy a good buy and hold multifamily asset, like it typically... Time does solve a lot of things, oh, yeah. especially if you're in a great area. So it heals all wounds with real estate as long as you're willing to wait long enough. Maybe not the contaminated wound, but uh, <laughs> maybe in a way it does too. I don't know. Um, have to think about that one more. But uh, all right, this was great, oh, Corey. Yes. No, great to reconnect. Yeah, yeah, it's always great, and uh, we'll have to get out and golf again soon. Maybe, maybe we'll do a simulator or something. We will, man. I might be doing something. I might be taking a group of people down to you know Arizona this this winter. So I guess we'll see what travels like. So. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one.